Well, good morning once again, and I invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4 and the fourth chapter. We're getting along. Fourth chapter, continuing our road through Romans. And this morning, I've decided to entitle this message, Hashtag Blessed. I was just going to call it blessed, but I had to modernize it. Since everything is hashtag now, I had to get in with the, 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 the groove. So if you're not familiar with hashtags, anyone not familiar with hashtags? I'll explain it to you after the service. Hashtag blessed. Now this is a word I used to describe myself this week, even though seriously I needed that song for myself just then because <laughs> I have been discouraged with all those new, with all the, everything that's been going on this week. It's been a bad week. But I still did describe myself as being blessed when I found the words to express to my wife how I felt after 10 years of marriage. What do you do, right? You have to write something. I didn't do the Facebook thing. I decided to write a card. And blessed. I know, I just, I couldn't imagine myself with anyone else. And after 10 years of marriage, it's what I hope everyone feels, is just blessed. Now, this morning, we are going to hopefully all feel blessed by the end of it. Um, regardless of where you're at, it, it might involve a decision that you have to make. But I'm just thinking back to Psalm 32, and we'll get there soon, of being blessed and how blessed we are. To start off, though, I think of... Job 9.2, just to introduce this passage. Job 9.2 says, you know, truly I know it is so, that how can a man be righteous before God? Even Job asks this question, how can a man or a woman be righteous? Or actually it is the 21st century, or a binary or a genderqueer, or a cisgender, or a two-spirit gender, or a pan-gender, or the 52 or 60 other genders that there are, okay? How can someone feel this? I know. <laughs> Being politically corrected. Now, how? And doesn't everyone have this question? In fact, anyone who follows a religion has this question. Because this is what every single religion is trying to fulfill, are they not? How do I become righteous before God? How do I get right with God? I'd love to find any religion that's not trying to do this. Other than a satanic religion, of course. Because they're the opposite, right? But seriously... Throughout the history of time, they've been trying to answer this question that Job has. How can a man be righteous before God? Which really brings us to chapter 4 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Okay? Or in the version that I've chosen, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder or the father, some versions say of our Jewish nation. He wasn't a Jew, was he? 
Jewish nation hadn't started yet. Abraham was the starter, the initiator through God. God used Abraham to do that. Right? And every Jew agrees with this. Abraham is the father, the founder of our religion. But what did he discover about being made right with God? What did he discover? And if you ask a Jewish person that, what do you think that say? Ah, oh, yeah. He discovered circumcision. <laughs> That's what did it, didn't it? And Paul gets into that a little bit later. And we've, we've gone over that. Paul's gone over that in the, in, the, in the previous chapters. What's the value of circumcision? Do you think circumcision is going to get you to become righteous before God? And we might reflect on that a little bit later too. But what did he discover about being made right with God? So let's, let's in other words, we've just gone through really what the good news is in the conclusion of chapter 3. Well, let's have an illustration to bring, a, bring about its truth. Let's go back, way back, to... Genesis. I'm going to talk about Abraham. And so, for if Abraham was justified by works, Paul continues to write in, in verse 2, he has something to boast about. But not before God. If our righteousness was based on everything that we did, we could boast. Right? We could boast. If it was based on how many times we went to church, if it was based on how many um, lies I didn't tell, if it was based on how pure my, my, um, my, my thoughts were, if it was based on how much money I put in the offering, oh, some people could boast a lot about that. If it was based on those things, we could boast. But you can't do it with God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul goes back and quotes some scripture. And this scripture, if you want to read it yourself, is found in Genesis chapter 15. And if you're not familiar, by the way, with this story, I highly encourage you to read it this week. Genesis chapter 15. It's when God first initiates this covenant, this deal with Abraham. And Abraham's late in age. But he still can be used by God. But did it involve Abraham doing something? No, it involved Abraham believing. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So we've gone in last week about these words that we all should know. Words like justification. Words like 
redemption. Words like propitiation is all important words to know when it comes to our salvation. So if you're still not familiar with those words, please go to one of your podcast channels, look up Bridge Ghost Baptist Church and listen to that message again. But righteousness, we've covered this multiple times before, particularly in the start of chapter 1. Righteousness, I've just said it, being right with God, being approved by God. God approves of you. Righteousness. And this righteousness is credited, or a better word, imputed. It's, it's, it's infused in you. You are, just like what, when we went to about justification, you are declared righteous. Now this is the next step, because remember how last week I was talking about, you know, we could get to the point in our Christianity, in our, in our let's be more personal, um, in our salvation, in our relationship with God, to the point where we just say, yes, I know God loves me. But that's what all my understanding is. The next level I could say, yes, God loves me and I know he's forgiven me. And, and, and sadly, that's all people understand of their salvation. God's forgiven me. But it's way more than that. Just think of that on human terms. Someone's wronged me, and, and I can forgive them. But how many times do we forgive someone, and then, nah, I don't want to be hurt by that person again, so I'm just going to stay away from them. All right? I'm not going to trust that person again. But I, I, I know I've forgiven them. I just, I've released that debt. But that's all. We could be tempted, if that's our limited understanding of what our relationship with God is, we could be limited into thinking, ah, oh, maybe that's what God thinks of us. And unfortunately, I hear too many stories where those thoughts do come into our mind. Oh, what? Yeah, God's forgiven me, but oh, I've done this, but... And then God's going to do that to me. He's not going to like me anymore. We get tempted because I think part of it's to do with our limited understanding of what God's done. But this is a wonderful truth. He's not just forgiven us of our sins. He has imputed righteousness into you. In other words, think of all those people out there that are trying to do something. They're trying to do something to be right with God. And we find out that all Abraham took was to believe Why? Because to the one who works, his wage is not credited as grace, but as what is due. 
to think of your job, if you have a job. God bless you when you're retired. Okay? But your job. You have a wage. I think Paul's doing a comparison here with that. That wage that I get, that money that I get every fortnight, is that something that is a favor to me? Is that something that is by grace? I don't deserve it. Of course not. No. It's something that I earned to get, to receive. Pretty simple. It's what is due. It's due unto me. But, verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who, what does he do? He justifies the ungodly. Simplest definition again of what justifies means is just repeating the word, God treating me just if I had never sinned. Ever. We're justified. We're declared and treated that way. We're treated that way. He justifies the ungodly. Now, this to me is straightforward because is there any reason for God to justify a godly person? No, because nothing can make him godly other than Christ's righteousness, remember? So, this is a gimme. He justifies the ungodly. Which reminds me that in order to firstly come to God, I need to realize that I am ungodly. Yes? I need to realize that I am a sinner. I need to realize that I am in need of forgiveness. But believes in him. Okay? So the one who does not work but believes in him, his faith is credited as righteousness. So this should, be, this should be straightforward for all of us, even if you're a child in this room. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. And you might say, what? What if I never tell a lie? Not even that. What if I never say a bad word coming out of my mouth? Not even that. That can never make you righteous before God. That can never make you right. The only thing that can make you right is, right there, faith. His faith is credited as righteousness. And so for some, the question might be, what is faith? Firstly, what I've decided to do is do some acronyms this morning. Before I go into that page, though, look at those two verses, four and five. The big word is grace. Second word is faith. Grace, it's not as grace, whereas God's righteousness imputed to us, to us is grace. Unmerited favor, unearned favor. An acronym I like to put, I've, I've, this one I've heard is, because there's many out there, God's riches, so we can receive God's riches at Christ's Expense. You may have heard that before. God's riches, salvation, a personal relationship with our Creator, at whose expense? Christ's expense. Nothing to do with us. That's grace. 
and everything that comes with God's riches. And then going back to verse 5, well, what exactly is faith? And yes, we could, as I've done before, just reference Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, because that does a, a beautiful definition right there in Scripture. Faith is the, and now I've got to remember it, substance of things unseen or hoped for. I get, you always get mixed up. Unseen, the evidence of things hoped for or unseen. One of them, okay? <laughs> one's the substance, the one's the evidence. It's not a blind faith. But I came across this acronym this week. And if you, if you, again, there's, there's many out there. But just think about it. Okay. The question is, do I have faith? Do you have faith? And so, think of these words. First of all, in order to have faith, do you not have to have facts? Where does faith come from? Faith comes from the hearing, or from hearing, and the hearing comes from the, the Word of God. So, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, which, when you look at the Greek, it's just talking about, not literally the Bible, but literally a talk or some communication about Jesus. Like, we need that, right? How can you respond to something that's not even there, that you don't even know what you're responding to? So, the facts have to be there. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the facts. And then you have a choice, do we not? When we hear that, that first talk, maybe about what Jesus has done for you, and, and then I know Ross and Zeb and Ben, I hear this all the time. They, 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 you either get that person to agree what you're saying, or most of the time, what, what do they do? They disagree with you. So we have to agree in order to have faith. Yes? Secondly, yes, we could agree, but we just could leave it there. I think we have to individualize it. Or we have to personalize it. Because we could say, yes, I believe Christ died for the sins of the whole world. But I think it takes one step further to say, Christ died for my sin. It's something that I have done. Because how many people out there do you know? Oh, yes, Christ would have had to die for all those rotten people, all those murderers, all those rapists, all those thieves out there. But I mean, oh, I'm good. We have to individualize it. And then, I believe there's a fourth step where we have to trust in what he's saying. Trust that what God says in his word is true. Ultimately, trust that what Jesus did on that cross is what forgives you of your sins, is the punishment of your sin. Trust in that, right? We either trust it or we don't. We either believe in it or we don't. And then, I think with all that, 
comes the fifth one. I think this is just a gimme, where if we trust in that, it brings a hope. A hope that, well, yes, if I'm trusting that Christ has forgiven my sins on the cross, then, well, the hope that is when judgment day comes, I'm going to look him face to face and, and be with him and, and rejoice in that. That's a hope, is it not? And so the interesting thing with this, though, is how can we tell whether each other has faith? And we could say, yeah, well, we look at that fruit. Which is quite dangerous because then we go, oh, then we, then we become all fruit. Fruit pickers or fruit, uh, what do they call them? Um, fruit inspectors, that's right. May we never be fruit inspectors. <laughs> you heard of that term where we say, oh, yeah, they're not doing that. So oh, it looks like they don't have faith. Ultimately, it's something that we cannot determine with each other, which I think is good. It's something that only God can determine. And that's why I think there's so many stories where Jesus says, yes, again, that's it. It's, it's, it's a personal thing. Leave it for yourself. But at that same, that same, and the reason I say this is because, like, ultimately, you could be in this room, and, and I'm not accusing anyone, by the way. I'm just saying, it's, it's possible that someone could be in this room and they could be pretending to do this whole thing for whatever reason. There's no point going into all those reasons. It could be whatever reason. Faith is the only thing that you can answer. Do you have faith in the finished work of Christ? And then Paul brings up another person. Probably this guy would be the second most esteemed um, person in history in the Jewish nation, right? When you ask a Jewish man, you know, who do you think of when you look at Israel and everyone? being out there. King David, right? Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Well, what does David speak of? We read it this morning. Psalm 32, and these are this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed. Just read those words again, particularly at verse 8. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Regardless of what you do, That's pretty phenomenal. And blessed is the best word 
I think, David uses. And if that still hasn't sunk in, just reflect on that verse this week. Blessed is that man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Particularly when you're feeling like the Lord will take into account. Because it might have been done something, something that you have done. It might be because, you know, tempted to think when things aren't going right. The temptation is, again, I confess, I had this myself. Oh, what have I done wrong? What's the Lord, what's the Lord doing to me? Why would the Lord take this away from me? Mm. Now is this blessing for the circumcised only? This is where we get into the circumcision again. I don't know how many times does Paul have to mention this just to get him to sink it in, right? Because this is like, really, remember, if you haven't listened to the previous messages, um, this is probably new to you, but if you have, this is probably old to you because, oh my goodness, he's talking about this again? We've already covered this. But the Jews will always bring it up. Why? Just because how much they depend on circumcision to be the answer. Remember all those um, uh, writings from rabbis in the histories where they say, you know, as long as you're circumcised, circumcised, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how unholy you are, you're going to escape hell just because of your circumcision. These are writings passed through the ages of the Jewish nation. So, this is a big issue. So, Paul brings it up. Now, is this blessing for the circumcised only? Obviously, we say, of course not. Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say that Abraham's trust was credited to his account as righteousness. All comes back to trust. All comes back to faith. Paul's bringing him back to that. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Does anyone know when Abraham was circumcised? Is anyone brave enough to know? Yeah, it's after he believed. 99. Can you believe that? And how? I don't want to know. No. 99 years old. Why? Well, first of all, let's finish that verse. Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Logically, because he made the deal with Abraham before. And quoting Genesis 15, he came circumcised later. And he received... Circumcision, why? As a sign. It was a sign. It wasn't the deal breaker. It was just a sign. And what the Jewish Jews have done is turned it into a deal breaker. A, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Interesting, a seal of the righteousness but we have to, someone might question what? So it did seal him? No, only as a sign. 
It's different to what we experience. Remember, we are sealed. Once we place our faith in Christ, we are sealed. But we're sealed by what? The Holy Spirit. Because once the Holy Spirit indwells you, well, we're promised that He'll never leave you. He will never leave you. I should say He. While He was still uncircum. So then, okay, so then He is the Father of all who believe, going back to the basics, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. He is the Father of all. He's the father of not just the Jews now, but he's the father of us. He's the father of the Gentiles. Why? Because we share that commonality and that faith is what has made us righteous. Faith is what allows God to credit righteousness to us. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. Yes, but only only, notice that, only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Comes back to faith. Paul, just reminding them over and over again. And this is just the start. And that's what I ended with this morning on verse 12. We'll pick up. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, of verse 13. But that's what I'm going to say to you this morning. That's what I'm going to ask, even if you're listening right now. Can you say right now, in this present time, that you are blessed? Going back to the previous verses. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into count. Can you honestly say that this morning? And if you, don't, if you can't, well, you have a choice to make. You have a choice. Believe, just like Abraham, that when Jesus said, it is finished, those words mean that you can't do anything to add to your salvation. You can't do anything to make you righteousness, righteous other than what Christ has done for you. Simple faith in that is what saves us. Let's pray and thank God for that wonderful truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your holiness because it's your holiness that makes us holy. Nothing that we do, or from what Christ did on the cross. And so we just ask that you firstly help anyone who does not believe it this morning to make that choice, to make that decision, to follow you to make that decision to believe in that wonderful, marvelous, loving truth. And for others, help us 
to live by that faith. Help us to be true to our identity, to not live or rely on our feelings, on our soul, but rather on our spirit that is truth. We thank you that you have made us completely new where we are seated in heavenly places right beside our Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for imputing righteousness to us, for crediting us with it, where we can't boast of it, where we can't do anything to add to it, we can't do anything that takes it away. Help us just to have that firm in our minds and hearts as we go outside this place and minister to the ones who need to hear it. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.